Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from January 30th, 2022, Pastor Craig Kidder teaches us how our practices can help us live into the reality of our union with Christ. For more information, please visit compassefc.com. God, I pray you receive our worship as a prayer. We want to be just overwhelmed by your presence this morning. God, being known is a scary thing. God, remind us that when you call us, you're calling us by your grace into a relationship of love. God, I pray that transformation would take place today. Those of us who are tired would experience rest. Those of us who are hurt would experience healing. And God, we know that all that can happen through your spirit. You can humble the proud. You can change us today. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Anybody in here from Minnesota or the Northeast? Have you ever noticed, like, it's kind of like apocalyptic. Whenever it's, like, going to rain in the wintertime, there's, like, certain cars in parking lots that they all do this certain thing. They take the windshield wipers and they point them up. All right? It's just like folks from Minnesota. Like, hey, we've seen this movie before, right? Uh, if you're from the Northeast, too, you have a skill of, like, if you leave your car out at night, driving with a totally frozen windshield. Like, you just know those little spots to see. Well, we're in the middle of a series right now where we, we, we've got the scraper out, and we're just trying to scrape the ice and help us see where we're going. Who are we? Where are we going? Where's this car headed? What's happening, right? This is Compass. That's the series we're in right now, and we're just trying to just provide clarity, right? We talk about we want to be a place that's experiencing transformation. Transformation into what? Transformation toward what? Like, what are we talking about when we talk about this transformation that we want to experience? On November 27th, 2009, a scandal broke out. It happened in Florida. A Cadillac Escalade crashed into a fire hydrant, then into a tree, and then into a series of hedges. Not even sure what that means, a series of hedges. Like, was that just like one long hedge? It just took out a bunch. It was like, oh, hit this hedge, and we'll go around. I don't know. But this car accident ended up costing companies, it was estimated in the following December, costing companies between 5 and $12 billion. Billion with a B. It was an expensive car accident because the driver, that Florida man, was none other than Tiger Woods the greatest golfer to ever play the game. What had happened, and it was a scandal, it shocked the sports world. What had happened before that accident was Tiger was just this super clean-cut, well-disciplined, amazing athlete. There had been rumors circulating around, but now all of a sudden... His private life spilled over into the public. And I think that's why it was so shocking. Here's a guy who we think is so disciplined, who we think has it together. Oof. And so companies in droves distance themselves from Tiger. Uh, 
Nike stayed with Tiger. Electronic Arts stayed with Tiger. But Gatorade parted ways. General Motors parted ways. It, it caused Tiger to make a statement. And in his statement, here's what he said. Uh, he, he at first apologized and tried to like maintain distance from it. But he later went on to say, I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to do. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. Thanks to money and fame, I didn't have to go far to find them. I was wrong. I was foolish. Turns out this well-disciplined golfer was dealing with the pressures of fame and success through marital infidelity. And what became clearer as the weeks went on, as the scandal became more and more public, was that Tiger had not just had one affair, he had had several affairs. He was living a total duplicitous life. He was even showing up at Nickelback concerts, which was like, to me, the most shocking part of that story. I'm like, what? Okay. Nickelback gets a lot of hate, and they deserve some of it, but they don't deserve all of it, all right? I think for most of us, the shock was in the gap. Certainly, we've seen celebrities behave poorly, right? That's not shocking, right? Celebrities feeling entitled. You know, it's hard to be really powerful. Power corrupts, right? Well, there's questions about that, but we know what you know. We're not surprised by that. I think what we were surprised, though, was just it's jarring. When, when we see somebody as something, and it turns out there's something else, and we see that gap, it's like, whoa, this is jarring. That happened to me. Amy and I were walking on the street one day, and we saw a celebrity chef. I'm really tempted to say who it was because this person was rude to me. I like this celebrity chef, and I saw them, and I was trying to be, like, super cool about it, you know? Like, I, you know, I wanted to be that guy, like, I see celebrities all the time. This isn't a big deal. I don't. I've hardly ever seen a celebrity in my life. Um, but, I, you know, I was trying to get Amy's attention, and so I didn't want to point. So I did, like, one of these. Like... <laughs> and he sees me doing this, right? And he goes, how are you? And I just remember going, like, Whoa, that was rude, but I can't say that because you're also way bigger than you are on TV. So, man, and I remember the next time I saw him on TV, I was like, that guy's a jerk. Can't stand that guy. Now, is he a jerk? You know, maybe I caught him on a bad day. I was being a little odd, right? We can all, you know, I only see a sliver of his life. But again, it's this gap, right? He presents himself as this guy who's really nice and will help you turn your restaurant around on TV. (laughs) But how I experienced him was a little different. And there's a gap, and that gap is disorienting. Now, certainly, we know that that gap gets even more disorienting as we start talking about the church. Good night. The past 10 years, how many scandals have come out again and again and again? This one, you know, a president of an evangelical college says, I'm not very religious. And we're like, what? Right? Like, like just the gaps are everywhere. And, and if you're lucky, you'll stick around long enough to start to recognize we all have gaps in our own lives. We love creation. We want to care for creation. Man, we'd still throw those cans in the black bag, right? Do you know how hard it is to compost? We love creation, but oh, gaps. We love our kids, but when they're driving us crazy, we work really hard to avoid them. We love them. We want to be present for them. We want to really have like a deep, meaningful relationship, but right now, I just need, I just need to get on my phone and get away from you. You're just, you're just annoying. Gaps. 
We all have gaps in our lives between what we love, what we really do love, and how our life looks. And the question becomes, how and why do we close those gaps? We're all aware of gaps in our lives, but when it comes to like how and why we close those gaps, the answer to that question, I would say, is more important is more important. How and why we close the gap is more important than the fact that we close the gap. How we decide to say, hey, here's what I love as a follower of Jesus. You just take any list in Scripture. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? Talk about justice. You can talk about all these things. Anything that I love, really love, and then my life that feels like it doesn't measure up. Recognizing that is huge. And Christians, for thousands of years, have had an answer to how we close that gap. All right, we're going to talk about that answer. Because it, it, it works. It's effective. There's thousands of years of wisdom from church fathers and mothers. People have gone on before us to say, here's how you can close that gap. But... How and why we try to close that gap is just as important as closing the gap. I would say more important. You can, you can close the gap and experience integration and, and wholeness, but yet do it for motives that are totally missing the point. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives us an answer for people who want to close the gap but are really mindful about how we close the gap. And it's an invitation to live out of a backpack. All right, we're going to talk about that in a second. But it's an invitation to build our lives on a secure attachment. Something happened in Jesus. And because that connection to Jesus is real and sure and true... That provides for us a foundation that fuels our growth. If we, if we start with the growth of, man, I just really want to close this gap and miss the connection, miss the attachment, we have wasted our time. So the answer that the church has for how we close the gap, it's been called many things uh, throughout the years, practices. We're going to call it around here, the practices. The, the spiritual disciplines, the things we can do to close the gap. But if we start there, if we start with, are you frustrated that you're an angry person? Well, practice these disciplines and you won't be angry. If we start there, we have actually missed Christianity. All right? So many of us are trying to fix things uh, because we're not confident of the secure attachment. We're trying to fix things because we think the the connection to God is immature. You know, oh, if I just got things put together, then I'd be worthy. Then I, you know, then I'd be good to go. Like once I start fixing things, then I really can be confident about God's love for me and my standing. We wouldn't say that, but that's how we feel. And Paul flips that. He, He provides for us in the book of Romans his whole philosophy of transformation. And most of it is focused on cultivating on living into the reality of recognizing something happened and it's true regardless of how you feel. 
regardless of the narratives you tell yourself, regardless of how you, oh, I'm an angry person. Something happened and it's true regardless of all those things. And when we live in that attachment, we then are given these gifts that help clarify that attachment and help us live into growth. I grew up in a really big family, and my family, like, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I don't get it. We, we would get together, like, all the cousins and all extended families, and we wouldn't watch sports games. We'd watch, like, 90s movies. I do not understand it, like, even to this day. Like, so I have all these memories of, like, watching, like, Mel Gibson's Ransom as, like, a seven-year-old, which is wildly inappropriate, okay? Um, but I remember there was this, like, phrase in my, my grandparents' house, hey, down in front! Right? Does anybody else have that phrase? Down in front. No? Okay. It's just a French-Canadian house, I guess. Like, so what that meant was, you're standing in front of the TV, get out of the way. Right? You make a better door than a window. That's another one. All right? <laughs> what we're saying the practices are, the practices are, are God's gift to us to help us see clearly, to help remove those things in our life that, that keep us from seeing things as Jesus sees them. It gives us clarity. It's, we're saying to the, the things that, are, that we do down in front, like you're blocking my real perspective. I can't see things clearly because of this. So for a season, I'm putting this aside. All right? And so for a lot of us, we want a list. Give me a list. Give me the list. I'll do it and I'll be good. For a lot of us, though, we're afraid of a list. Like, don't give me a list. Like, that's legalism. I don't want that. Oh, this is scary. All right, we're going to try to navigate between, like, utter chaos and rigidity today. All right, we want to live in grace. Paul maps out how to live this identity that the, the gospel provides and how that helps us rearrange some things in our lives. But we have to start with the identity. So if you have a Bible, we're in Romans chapter 6. If you didn't have a Bible, you don't have a Bible, you're like, what's a Romans? Uh, it's on page 1517 in those maroon seatback Bibles underneath the seat. 1517, I think. If it's not, I need vitamins, but I think it's 1517, all right? Romans chapter 6. How do we close the gap according to the Apostle Paul? Romans chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 11 to 14. Romans chapter 6. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Father. Father, we have gaps. Father, we have competing motivations. We have competing desires. And when we live into those competing desires we can buy into narratives. Things, things that we tell ourselves about ourselves, about you, that aren't true. God, I pray that you would help us to see clearly, see things as Jesus sees them, and then to live out that vision. Father, I ask that you would protect us, 
this morning from, from the temptation both toward legalism and the temptation toward disengaging. God, I pray we would stay engaged as we do seek growth, that change is possible. We can experience flourishing. We can experience new life and joy and transformation. And it's possible because of our identity with Christ. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 6, 11 through 14 is a transformational part of the book of Romans. Romans is, many people consider Paul's like magnum opus. It's like his like, hey, this is my, this is my big work here, okay? I don't know which Super Bowl Tom Brady's most proud of, but this is that, okay? I just got to say, I got to say, because so many of you Chiefs fans have been so mean to me today. Uh, I just have to say, even though the, the Bucks are out, the news stories are still about Tom, all right? I just want to say that, all right? Still got the headlines, all right? But here's what Paul's saying here. Here's what Paul's saying here. He's saying this. He, in the book of Romans, in his magnum opus, in his biggest letter, he, he drops a bomb in verse 11. That's a really big deal. Verse 11 changes the whole trajectory of, of Romans. Verse 11 is the very first command in the book of Romans. The very first command. And it's the very first time Paul uses a phrase that's like his signature move, in Christ. Here's what he says in verse 11. Look back at it. He says this, consider yourselves. How should we think about ourselves? In the same way, think about yourselves. Some old version and say, reckon yourselves. The way you should think about your identity, identify as someone who is dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. If you live in the kingdom of God, if you know Jesus, if you trust Jesus, how you think about yourself matters. And Paul's very first command is this, think about yourself as someone who's dead to sin and alive to God, in that very important phrase, in Christ Jesus. And we have to illustrate this. We have to, there's a lot to unpack, but we have to talk about what is Paul talking about? What's he inviting us into? He's inviting us to live out of a backpack. Here's what I mean by that. All right, this is a real backpack. It's my backpack, all right? I own this backpack. I use it every day, okay? Now, I know this is a little off-brand for me, so hang on for a second. This is Captain America, all right? I, it's a, the worst toy ever. He doesn't stand up, but he talks sometimes. Captain America. Okay? This is Captain America. This is my backpack, okay? When I put Captain America in my backpack, what happens? Can you see Captain America? No. And also, that's important, but also what happens now? Where the backpack goes, Captain America goes. All right? What happens to the backpack happens to Captain America. All right? Because Captain America is in the backpack. All right? And that's exactly what it means to be in Christ. Like, sometimes we just complicate things so very much. Like, oh, this is so theological, like being in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It, it's literally what it sounds like. We're in Christ. It's like Captain America is in the backpack. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, all right? And yet, he sees you. There's this union, this blending, this in Christ. Captain America is in the backpack. He still exists. He's still real. He's just in the backpack. Christianity is fundamentally a belief 
that I cannot, uh, Jesus has done for me what I could never do for myself. We are united to Jesus. And here's what's amazing about what Paul is saying. What happened to Jesus happens to us. That's what he's saying. Why should we consider ourselves dead to sin? Because Jesus died. And we're in Jesus. It's life outside of our normal way of thinking, right? We think, man, I lied, therefore I'm a liar, which makes sense, right? But if you're a Christian, you lied, all right? But that's out of character for who you are. It's like combing your hair with a fork. You can comb your hair with a fork, but that's not what the fork was designed for, Ariel. All right? It's out of character for the fork, okay? That's what it means to be a Christian. This sin stuff isn't me. I'm dead to sin. It's out of character for me because I'm in Christ. When the Father sees me, he sees the Son in whom he is very well pleased. That's amazing. That's what Paul is inviting us to think about. We call that attachment. Union with Jesus. Our life has been united, stitched together, all right? And that attachment is secure. It's not a soft attachment. It doesn't depend on how well we live into it. It's a solid, strong attachment. And so the very first command in the book of Romans, after Paul makes some amazing mic drop statements, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Consider yourself dead to sin. Why? Because Jesus died. Our spirits have been joined to him. This is spiritual truth and reality. And so when he died, we died. But that's not it. That's not the end of the story. We're not just supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin. We're also supposed to consider ourselves alive to God. We're alive. This is amazing. And look at, this is really, I mean, this is just a lot to chew on. I know. But look at verse 12. So we're supposed to be alive to God, right? That's how we're supposed to think about ourselves. Listen to how that changes our relationship to sin. Verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey whose evil desire? Its evil desire. Not your evil desire. Its evil desire. Sin, when you become a Christian, becomes this like unwanted house guest. It's in your business. But it's this other, right? We are not our mistakes and our failures because those were nailed to the cross and died with Jesus. And there's no double jeopardy in God's court. You can take a deep breath. Things are secure. You are loved. You are safe. All right? Kids that have secure attachments to their parents... Kids who grow up in a home where they know they're loved, where they know they have people they can come to with their problems and talk to, do crazy things in the world. All right? They go out and they take wild risks. Why? Because they know they have a place they can come home to that's safe. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
that our attachment is strong and secure so we can take risks for the kingdom. We can do wild things. So many of us approach what we do for God and the so-called spiritual disciplines as, man, I got to read my Bible more. Why? I want to be a good Christian. That's backwards. It's not Christian, actually. It's something else. Christianity says, man, I'm loved I am safe. I'm united back to God. What happened at Eden, the destruction that took place there because of sin has been undone. And I, not, I don't just get to go back and pretend I'm in Eden. I get to go beyond that. And I'm living in this safe space where I'm known and loved by God. And so faith involves learning to see as Christ sees and embodying that vision. We're learning to see like Jesus sees because that doesn't feel true for a lot of us. Look, you're like, well, okay, I'm dead to sin, but I still yell at my spouse. I still cheat on my homework, cheated on my taxes last year. Like, maybe I'm not dead to sin. We absolutely sin as Christians. I sin. We all sin. We all sin for ice cream. I feel like that was what had to come next. We all sin, Okay. But again, sin is just out of character for the believer. It's not who we are. And that's why it also feels so miserable. We're not living how we were wired to live. It's not, it doesn't line up with our natures. We're not, because our desires change. We, not even, we may not even be aware of those desires. Remember, sometimes the, our strongest desires are not always our truest desires. And we're like, man, this desire for sin is so strong but it might not be our truest desire. So step one for Paul's idea of transformation is this idea of just living out of a backpack, considering how we think about ourselves. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. Alive, like God's, God's life energy is flowing through me. I'm alive. I need, to, I need to remind myself and tell myself I'm alive. It's a not this but that. You know, Paul does that a lot. Have you heard, you know, when people do not this but that? Think about, like, if you're going to get an inheritance, right? And someone's like, yes, we're not going to give you the car in the garage. We're going to give you the car, the garage, the property it sits on, and the next city block, right? So not this but that. By starting by saying, we're not going to give you the car, but we are going to give you this whole city block, it highlights the greatness of the city block, right? So Paul's saying, we are dead, but we're really alive. He's trying to highlight the life we have. You're here, and you're like, man, I just feel so spiritually stagnant. I'm just stuck. I'm not growing. That can be a tremendous sign of life, because you're like, I'm not living how I was wired to live. I have a different identity, right? Sin is out of character for me. And that's Paul, his whole goal is to say, hey, how can we rearrange our lives to have deeper and more meaningful experiences of this? Not to create it, not to manufacture it, not to make it true, but to live into a deeper, truer reality of this. Right? Because there are gaps. I mean, Paul points out the gaps to the Romans at the, earlier in chapter 6. Like, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Shall we continue in sin? How can we continue in sin those who are dead to it? It's easy for us to sin. We do sin. All right? You're never going to get to a place where you're like, ha-ha, nailed it. John says that. If anyone says they're without sin, they lie. 
But we can get to a place where we're living out of a truer reality, where our vision lines up with how Christ sees us. That takes effort. That takes work. Not to earn, but to see clearly. To say, hey, God has said something is true. It doesn't line up with what I'm feeling. It doesn't line up with what I'm seeing, but this is what God says. And for thousands of years, Christians have said the way that we navigate, the way that we see clearly is through these things called practices. And so there's tons, you can Google, you can find, look, speaking of a backpack, if any of you are curious about, like, well, where can I find some lists of practices? Like, I, you know, I, I, wanna, I do want to close the gap, and a list would be helpful. This is, a, this is one of the most helpful lists I know. It's by Richard Foster. It's called The Celebration of Discipline, The Path to Spiritual Growth. It's excellent. It's a really great resource for like, hey, what are some really practical, tangible ways I can close the gap? He'll have you thinking of things you never thought about doing, right? Like, meditation, silence and solitude, study, studying scripture. Like, how can that help me close it? There's all kinds of amazing things Foster helps you do, helps you pray, all these things, of lists of how we close the gap. Today, though, I want to do something a little different. I don't want to simply focus on a list of how we close the gap. I want to focus on it, come at that same way, but differently. Okay? Have any of you ever been in a, in a conference setting or you hear in a sermon where someone, like, this is how they're trying to motivate you? Like, all right, you just need to read your Bible every day. You just need to pray more. It'll only take you 15 minutes. Don't, what's wrong with you? Don't you have 15 minutes? Don't you? Huh? No. Maybe I don't. Right? Like that, we're, we're going we're gonna to avoid that like the plague. All right? What we want to do today is instead of like providing you a list of things, which is a great practice, and we're going to do that in the future, we'll provide, hey, here's some helpful things that some Christians have said have helped them close the gap. But what we want to do today is just help us be mindful and about what we pay attention to in spaces. And then as people who are alive to God, maybe we can hear God inviting us into practices that are a little different from what we thought about. All right, look with me again at verse 12. Here's what Paul says. This is where he's getting at this. This is so, it's, it's unusual. And if he were sitting in here today and heard the way I, that I'm, what I'm about to say, he would roll his eyes like, dude, you are over explaining this. You're thinking about this way too much. But we have to recognize we think about the world way differently than Paul did. And to get back to the place that Paul is, it just takes a little bit of work, all right? So look with me uh, at verse 12. He says, therefore, what's the therefore? Because you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Because you are dead to sin and alive to God. As a result of that, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its, not yours, its desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. What is Paul saying there? Now, some of your translations might say, do not offer your members. Does anybody have that? Does anybody see that? Member. Okay, we got a few members out there. Okay. What Paul is literally saying is, do not offer your members to sin. He's saying, do not offer your body parts. We're like, what? Okay. It's an unusual way of thinking for us. Paul's saying, don't offer your fingers, your nose, your ears, your legs. Don't offer your body part to sin. And we're like, 
what would it mean to offer my fingers to sin? Like, what in the world is he talking about? Okay? Uh, can everyone just hold up your phone for a second? Okay. How many of you, this was your experience this morning? All right, you're about to leave the house and you go, ooh, okay. Should I or shouldn't I bring my phone this morning? Let me come up with the pros and cons list. Pro, if I get lost, I have maps. Okay, maps, pro. Con, someone's talking to me, I could get distracted. Con. Pro, I can, you know, check Twitter for uh, like highlights about, uh, you know, rep what reporters are saying about the game beforehand, okay? Con, ooh, I'll be distracted during church. How many of you that was your experience? Or were you just like, wait, I have my phone. How did I have my phone? Right? That's, that's what Paul's talking about. It's, it's in our members, all right? What's the third step to tying your shoe? You don't know, but you tie your shoe every day because it's in your members. It's in your fingers. It just, they, they know, and they whoop, they do it. All right? That's what Paul is talking about, that sin is in our members. He's not saying your fingers are bad, your nose is bad. That's not, that's not Christian. What he's saying is we, lived in, we live in a world where it's, a, it's an economy of sin and selfishness. And that's just how we learned to navigate and to get by. And it's become habitual. We've got sin in our fingers, just like I've got tying my shoes in my fingers. That's how Paul thought about the world. That when something, when a coworker of mine comes in and accuses me of something and I respond with anger and being defensive, right? The reality, I love listening. I really care deeply about listening to each other. But, man, I feel attacked. I've got anger in my members. I have these emotions that haven't been trained yet in my body, and I just react out of those members. And Paul is saying, how do we present our members? What do we do with our bodies so that we can totally see clearly, so that we can, bring, we can experience integration? Where what Jesus says, or what God's Word says, is what we're experiencing regularly. If this is your only time in the week where you can say, okay, I came to church on Sunday, and that's all I'm doing to experience in integration, where I, what God says I'm living out in my life, you're, I'm, look, I'm not trying to make you show up for more things, but you're just going to be disappointed. This is not enough time to see clearly, to realign things. It's just not, right? I mean, look, we, we, what is that phrase? Quick, fast, and cheap, pick two, right? You just, can't, you just can't have it all, all right? Like, I wish it was just this hour was all you needed. You hear a great message, and then you're totally integrated. You're ready to go. But that's not it. We, it's actually not it by design. We need other spaces. And so today, instead of just simply focusing on, hey, do you want to not be greedy, you know, give money away, which is great and has a total, we're going to talk like that in the future. We have, a, we have space for that. I want to actually just think about the spaces that we inhabit, that we go to, that provide a context for transformation. And there's five spaces. So there's five spaces that we go into where if we really do take that first step seriously, I consider myself alive to God. As someone who's living, who's got resurrection power flowing through their body, I can enter these five different spaces, and I just want to be open to what God might be saying to me as I enter those spaces. Because that's the last verse of this passage. Look at verse 14. 
This is an amazing reference to Isaiah that Paul's making. He says this, Sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but you're under grace. What does that mean to not be under law, but under grace? It's a reference back to Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about there will come a time when the law will not be something outside you that you have to teach to each other, but you'll have God living. You won't have, he says you won't have to say no to the Lord. You have God living inside you. We have the Spirit residing. And that's what it means to go from being under law to under grace. We're people who have, we have God living inside of us. So if we step into these five spaces, which naturally provide transformation, if we're mindful of how we step into those spaces, that's a great place to start rather than, okay, I just have another list of things to do. Because let's be honest, what's today's date? Is it the 30th? Okay, how are your New Year's resolutions doing? That's fine. Mine aren't doing super great either. I don't even remember what they were. But you know what I mean? Like, we, we're like, oh, man, I got to exercise more. Ooh, that was hard. I didn't do it. And I don't want to do that with like, hey, let's spiritually exercise more. And you're like, yeah. And then two weeks later, you're like, oof. All right? This is a reality we live in. Let's be gracious with ourselves. So I think the invitation of how we can be people who consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, how we can be people who are under grace and not under law, how we can do that is paying attention to the five spaces of discipleship. And I'm just going to leave this up. If you can't read it, that's fine. Take a picture of it. You can zoom it in. But we have to talk about these are five spaces that if we, as we enter these spaces, and as we pay attention to what God might be telling us in these spaces, we're going to start seeing transformation. The first one is what's called a public space. All right? And we, this is a, like, we all enter into, this is a public space right now, okay? You're like, we come together, and if you're expecting, like, man, I'm going to come together into this public space with a ton of people, and I'm going to be deeply known, and I'm going to be able to share my deepest, darkest secrets with the person sitting beside me, guess what? The person sitting beside you didn't have that same expectation. Now, you might sit beside, like, some people who I know are in here who are like, this is awesome, great, we're connecting. But that's not, not, when we enter those spaces, there's a natural different expectation. Let me just illustrate this. How many of you have flown a plane and the person sitting beside you did not understand that expectation? Like, I, my last flight, I was sitting beside this Episcopal priest and she told me her whole life story and I was like, I don't care, right? I, I, I have, it's Saturday night, I got to write a sermon. That's fascinating. She ended up making her way into the sermon because we had a great conversation. God used it. But like, Look, look, we're just, we just need to, like, make niceties, and we'll, like, there's rules here. Like, if I need to, like, to get out, I can say, excuse me, but other than that, we're not going to talk to each other, right? That's the rules of that space, all right? Now, church, we come together, not, this is not an airplane flight, all right? But we come together to celebrate, and the natural, like, momentum of this morning is, like, we want, like, man, wasn't it great to sing together? Did you feel encouraged at like looking around the room and just seeing, I saw tears in people's eyes and like, this is amazing. God's at work. This is beautiful. And it's like, this is awesome. I love, love, love these Sunday morning experiences. A, a, a mentor of mine who's a pastor who stepped out of ministry is like, I don't really care about Sunday morning. And my heart doesn't, oh, no, that's where the magic happens. We gather, we celebrate, there's real transformation. We all come together, we learn around God's word. We're all, like how many other times in your life where you're with total strangers, all focused on the same thing, it's transformative, it's amazing. And we see this in Jesus' ministry also. He stepped into public spaces. He fed the 5,000, right? He, he, Sermon on the Mount. These public spaces where a bunch of us come together around God's word, around worship, around an idea, those are transformational. What would it look like, again, as a practice for us, 
We want to be transformation. We want to close the gap. How can this space provide closing? And it doesn't have to be just church either, right? Like, uh, there's, I know there are a few people in here who booked it out of here after church, went to Arrowhead. That's a public space. When we go into those spaces as people who are dead to sin and alive to God, I mean, maybe, depending on what team you're rooting for. I'm not salty, by the way, about last week's game. But anyway, uh, if, we, if we enter those spaces as someone who's dead to sin, alive to God, really believing that, really, we're going to interact in those spaces differently. We're going to see things differently. We're going to, if we're, if we're trying, Jesus, what's your vision for this Sunday morning gathering? Jesus, what's your vision for my city? Right? Just being open. I'm alive to God. I have the living God flowing inside of me. How can we enter those spaces differently? The next space is what's called social space. That's why we have events around here. That's why Corona was so annoying. We're going to have barbecues. We're going to have things where you can invite your neighbor, and like we get about like 70 people outside hanging out. What happens in those spaces? We, we share affinity, right? Oh, you like Tom Brady? I like Tom Brady. We share things about ourselves. We make connection, and then we start to build community. That's an important space. Like, churches need to, to have practices where we're regularly like, hey, we're having a pool party. Invite your neighbors. We have these social spaces where it's different from a Sunday morning gathering where we're all around the Word, and as wonderful as it is, and as much as we love it, we need, uh, again, if this was your only practice that you have, you're going to be missing out. We need these, like, social spaces where we, like, man, I just met this person, and they, they love Mel Gibson. Well, no, that was bad. That was the first thing I met. Don't love Mel. Well, you love Mel Gibson. Oh, we're just going to move on. Uh, all right? They love the same movies I do. There we go. All right? And you build community, and that helps us be on mission. It's really hard to reach people you don't know and or like. Have you ever thought about that? You're like, I want to reach the city. Why? Do you know anybody or like anybody? No, I just was told I should. Right? No. We have a secure attachment, and we want other people to experience that secure attachment. And look, we have these common grounds so we can build and foster community with people outside. That's wonderful. The next space is a personal space. This is absolutely crucial for your growth. On Sunday mornings, we gather and we celebrate. And there's lots of even supernatural things that are amazing happening here. We are communicating to the powers that be. They lost. Their time's running out. Jesus won. Amazing. But you, you're probably not going to experience care. All right? That's just, I don't make the rules. That's just the reality of it. Like, you might if you're really looking for it and you just happen to bump into the right people. But on small groups, the reason we break up into smaller groups is because that's where we really can share. It's an environment where we can be known. We can tell our stories. And, and we're sitting in circles with maybe like five to seven to ten people, and we're sharing. That's another space. That's a practice. We, we need to put ourselves in these spaces where we can experience, again, integration, where we can see things as Jesus sees them and learn to embody that. And in smaller spaces, I get to hear other people's stories. They hear my stories. And it's like, wow, I'm not alone. This is amazing. That's why we do connection groups here. We really do need, like, look, Christianity, we said, I said this last week, is not a book club. It's also not just a lecture, all right? Christianity is all about this attachment. 
that we've been united to Jesus, we've been made alive, wouldn't you want to cultivate that by hearing from others? By, by like, you get to, maybe you're a little bit more mature and ahead in the faith, and you're like, man, I, this is just stirring up joy and excitement. Yes, I am alive. I've been hearing this message for years. And you look at a new believer who just feels stuck. Their life just feels like it's in a ditch. And you can see things that they can't. And so as they're sharing their story, and they're like, you know, I'm just a really angry person. I just really struggle with this and that. And you're like, oh, man, I see things you don't see yet. And when you see this, you're going to love it like I love it. That's why we do connection groups. So starting in two weeks, we're, we're ratcheting them up. We're start, I know that many groups have been continuing to meet, and we love that. We celebrate that. However you can find community, do it, okay? But we also say, hey, we as a church, we really value this. We want to set up rhythms so that we can just say, hey, we all need this in our lives. Friendship is hard. Boston, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine said that an epidemic facing men in their 60s is loneliness, Right? How many of us lament, oh, man, the pandemic, everybody's isolated. Well, what are we doing about that? Right? It's really easy to point out a problem. Man, people, people don't have community. Maybe put ourselves in a space where we're going to be known, where we're going to foster community. You need to go deeper than that, though. And the next space is the transparent space, transparency. That's where personal spaces are like five to seven, ten people. Transparency is like one other person, maybe another. And the goal of the transparent space is just vulnerability. Hey, here's all my junk. Here's who I am. Here's, like, I'm an angry person. I just yelled at my kid, scared him. Here I am. Openness truly being known. It can happen in those personal groups, but we really need those transparent spaces where we can step in and truly be known. That can happen in marriage with a spouse. That's why it's important to cultivate, like stepping into those spaces with our spouse. It can look like friendship, but we need few people, a smaller group of people that we can really be known by. And look, again, this is all these rhythms have been like mirrored in Jesus' life. Jesus was in the public space. He also had, you know, he had spoke to 5,000. He spoke to crowds. He spoke to the 70. That's the more social, right? He sent out 70 people. He was in the smaller groups. Then he had the 12. That's the personal, right? He, he had 12 people that he mentored and worked with, and they walked together. Then he had, from the 12, there were three disciples that he really invested in, all right? And then there's the last space that we all need. It's called the divine space. It's just you and God. How do I enter a space that is just me and God? We saw Jesus doing that all the time. It's actually the feeding in Matthew's gospel. I don't know. I don't remember if it's the feeding of the 4,000 or the 5,000. Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds to go to the, the space where it's just him and the Father. And it's almost like they're like, come on, come on. And he's like, Ugh, all right. Jesus regularly, like we see him, especially in Mark's gospel, leaving the crowds, running away because he, he was not trying to earn anything from the Father. But Jesus deeply was aware and, and enjoyed and cultivated that attachment with his Father. He was deeply confident of the Father's love for him, and he just had to get away to experience that more and more. The focus of the divine space is, again, being with your creator and redeemer. 
And what happens is you cultivate an identity, cultivate your destiny, where you're headed, and you start living in truth. If we want to be people who see things as Jesus sees them, it's helpful to spend time with Jesus. And again, here's all I did. I just talked about five spaces, and some of us are like trying to do the math and remember all the spaces. Don't worry about that, all right? That's not the point. The point is, how can I be paying attention to things? How can I be paying attention to things in church? Like, I don't want to worship today. I, I, I love God. I'm, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be worshiping. And then you, you just say, okay, you know what? I don't want to be here. I don't want to be worshiping. I don't like this. None of these people know me. I don't care about this place. But you stand up and you, you start just singing. And you start paying attention. What do I feel in my body? Am I tense? Am I angry? Am I, am I afraid? We just enter those spaces and pay attention to what's happening. And that's going to look different for lots of us, especially depending on the seasons you're in. Like, part of why I didn't want today give a list of spiritual disciplines is because there's so many seasons represented across this body. There are people who are students. You're in a season where you're like, I got a full-time job. I've got, a, I, I've got this relationship. I'm a full-time student. I am just, just, I'm riding a bicycle down a hill. The seat fell off, and I'm just holding on for dear life. There's young parents who are like, 15 minutes? Are you kidding me? If I have 15 minutes, I'm just spending like staring at a wall. Then there's, uh, there's parents who have kids that are finding more and more independence. And there's like a lot of fear of like, I haven't, you know, we, they were supposed to be back at 11. It's 2.30. Like, ah, what's happening? And there's a fear that you're retired and you're like, does anybody care or see me? I feel like, you know, I'm fading into the background. Does anyone love, notice, and care about me? Right? We're all in different seasons. What if all of us listen to God in whatever season we find ourselves in, and we come up with different practices that help us experience the reality of that attachment we have, that the Father delights in us. Like, man, I found in the season I'm in, this helps. Rather than, hey, we go to Compass, so you should read your Bible every day if you want to belong here. Right? Because that's what we do, all right? We're the notebook church. Have you heard that? I'll explain it later if you don't get it. Um... We want to avoid that and say, hey, look, we really do think you're alive to God. If you're trusting Jesus, God's spirit lives in you. Why don't you, why don't you and he have a conversation? Hey, what, what should this look like? What, what should practices look like for seasons? Remember, seasons too. There are going to be seasons of our life where a practice is like, yep, this is what I need in this season. I got to be, I got to get rid of my wardrobe and be a minimalist, right? And there's going to be seasons where like, yep, I uh, need to buy new clothes, right? Just being gracious with ourselves. Which leads me to this confusing chart. Don't, this is, you don't have to write this down or anything about it. If you remember back in the middle of December, I said, hey, I'm reading this guy, Dr. Jim Wilder. And he said that, you know, he studies neuroscience and theology. So he's like, he calls himself a neurotheologian, which I'm not crazy about that either, but... Uh, it's just hard to say. Um, but he, so he's, you know, cares a lot about soul care. He studies the brain and like how brain science affects that. And he knows theology like crazy. And he said, you can make joy your default emotional state. And I was like, 
that sounds amazing. We're like, what would that even look like? Would I just be like singing and dancing and clicking my heels? Like, what would, I don't even know what that would look like. So I said, for me, in the season I am in right now, with the lifestyle I have right now, this is a great idea. But I tried something. I said, why don't I invite the whole church to do it with me? Now, if you didn't, it's okay. I knew, it, I knew I, well, that wasn't the expectation. It was really a planting a seed for today. But I also knew something. I was trying to do something that I knew wouldn't work. This is what I, I as I was saying, I was, ah, don't do this, Craig. This is a terrible idea. This is the worst idea you've ever had. But I'm like, let's do it. What I was trying to do was motivate myself to do it. So if I tell, you know, hundreds of my closest friends, hey, I'm doing this thing, and then I don't do it, oof, that would be really embarrassing. So I should do it. Do you know, if we, if we unpack the layers of what that is, that's me trying to motivate myself through shame. All right, and that's a terrible motivator. We don't change through shame. Well, we do change through shame, but it's not ways you really want to, you're never gonna get invited to a conference. Well, you might get invited to a conference. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. So what I did, you see, I started, you can't read it, but the date, there's, there's dates there, and each, there's three boxes for each date. There's a blue line separating. There's 30 dates there. I started January 6th, just to tell you how late I started. From when we were in the middle of December. I started like about a month later, all right? And so for three times a day, what he has you do is you have a list of things you're grateful for, and you just think about, okay, I, I have, you know, a, you know the day I married Amy, what did I feel in my body? Man, I felt joy. I felt like, I don't deserve this girl. This is amazing. Now, what does that tell me about what God thinks about me? And so you do that for five minutes, three times a day. And you can see I missed many days. Some of those days are corona. Some of those days were just, I had a rough day. Uh, so I missed a few days. But here's what I, again, not prescribing this. Here's what I experienced throughout this. There were regular moments that when I sat down to do this, I had to give myself like an extra five minutes because I was just like, well, I don't feel like being happy right now. This is awful. I want to be angry at this person. Like, this person was a jerk. And I don't want to be joyful right now because I don't like that person. And so what happened was I had to start being aware of more things. Like, well, what's really going on beneath the surface here? And so there were so many moments in here where this was almost like a, a repentance. The, the word repent doesn't mean like you beat yourself up. It means turn. It was uh, uh, three times a day I was repenting and turning toward joy, right? And that, it, it, it just shifted my focus dramatically. What I experienced was I started looking for, I started seeing things way differently. So my list kept getting longer. And two things that were just like, I think I would have missed them had I not been doing this, but they were there, they were happening, and I don't think I would have seen it if I wasn't looking for it. There were two experiences I had that like totally just like, I mean, if I think about it, I'll just start crying. One of them happened, and this is judgment-free zone, right? This is a judgment-free zone? Okay. One of them happened when I had corona, okay? And I'm lying in, on the couch downstairs, and I'm just like delirious and just ugh, like super sick, and didn't know it was corona at the time, and I feel a tap on my shoulder. Dad, this is the judgment-free part. Like, you know, I probably should not have had my son so close to me. Dad. Dad, it's Jet. Are you okay? Can I get you anything? Ah! Right? I don't think I would have noticed that. I think I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine, fine, go, go, go. 
But because I'm looking for joy. Another one. Boaz and I, Boaz is a maniac, okay? He's just big and he's not afraid. So he, he's got this balance bike, so it has no pedals. And he just, wee and he goes down hills. It's terrifying, all right? So Boaz and I, we're on a walk. He's riding his balance bike. And he's really far away. And I wave. I just wave to him. And he goes like this. <laughs> Off he goes. I felt so seen. I was like, oh, my boy sees me. He loves me. What does that say about what God sees and feels about me? And I'm just blown away. Totally life-changing. These are things that were regularly happening that I was just oblivious to. Here's the thing, though. When I'm considering myself alive to God, these things are all around us. You don't know the person two rows away from you is, can be a major source of joy in your life because you don't put yourself in those spaces. And we're not putting ourselves in those spaces to earn anything. The attachment is strong, and when we start looking, we see evidence of that attachment everywhere. We're people who are loved by God, and that's not a weak attachment. So, couple next steps. On March 11th through 13th, football season's over, right? Football season's over. You're not going to miss anything. What we're going to do is we're going to have a retreat. We're calling it the Connection Retreat. That was easier to see on my laptop, sorry. March 11th through 13th. We're going to get together, and we're going to go about two hours away. It's going to be Friday night through Sunday morning. We're trying to keep the cost at around $100 a person. If cost is an issue, it's not an issue. We'll take care of it. We don't want anyone to be prevented from coming to this. It's the connection retreat, we're going to be talking about this whole idea of attachment, how we cultivate attachment, how we connect with others. And so you don't want to miss this. We have about 10 spots for about 10, 20 people, okay, 20 people, 10 couples or 20 people, however we want to do it. And space is filling up, so you want to sign up. After the service, just head out to the welcome table. There'll be a sign-up sheet there. But uh, it's going to be a great weekend. We really think getting away from our normal rhythms of life and doing this retreat is going to be transformative for you. Uh, it's going to be led by me, Julie Casey, and Allie Hedinger. Marshall's also going to be, it's going to be a Marshall retreat. So if you've never been on one, it's going to change your life. If you're like, what, 20 people, I want to go. It's going to fill up. Don't worry, we're going to do a few more throughout the year. We're going to try to do four this year. This is the first one, and we really want to say, hey, we're people who are securely attached, but man... Lots of things go astray when we don't live into that reality, when we don't see things as Jesus sees them, and we don't live into that vision. So we want to spend a weekend cultivating it. Another next step, connection groups. I mentioned earlier, join a group, take a step, take a first step. Just say, I'm going to put myself in that space. I have low expectations, but I just want to go in that space and see what God might be doing as I enter that space. More info on that in the next two weeks, but we really would love to see you join a group. Uh, like the primary way we care for each other around here is going to be through connection groups. We want you to be known. We want you to connect to a group. All right. I'm just going to close with this. There's been a ton of confusion. Where are we going? Where are we headed? Right? Like, what's the future look like at Compass? And may I say this, there's a group of people meeting 
a leadership team, and a vision is emerging, and it's beautiful, and it's exciting, and it's happening in community. We're super excited about that. We'll keep updating you as more and more happens. But I have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring or the future. But here's what I do know. I know that our attachment, the backpack that we live in, isn't going anywhere. And so we as a community are going to cultivate life from that backpack. We're going to say we're safe, we're secure, the Father loves us, so we can take risks. We can take risks, we can do wild things that may not make any sense. All right, but we're going to trust Jesus, we're going to listen to him, and we're going to head out into the future because we're people who have a secure attachment. Father, Father, I pray that we would be a people who recognize that sin is not who we are. We are dead to sin. It's out of character. It's brushing our hair with a fork. God, I pray that we would be people who learn to see as Jesus sees and live into his vision for our life. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for his clarity. God, I pray that we would see this more and more as we're mindful of the spaces we enter. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.